invite the children to come up and want to talk uh, with you just a little bit about something from this past week um, before we go into the sermon. So, um, children, if you want to come up and sit on the floor here, um, there's, a, there's something we want to talk about. And I'll give you a little clue. I might need help from somebody who doesn't mind heights. You don't mind heights? Okay, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll get to that part. Um, just, you can just stay sit. Um, well, you can come up right away. That's fine. Come up, but don't climb up yet. You can just stand here beside me. Um, so I want to talk to you about a day that we celebrated this past week. And does anybody know something that may have, been, have happened in the Bible that we celebrated or remembered in the past week? Anybody thinking of anything? I'll give you a hint. Do you know how long Jesus was here on earth after he rose from the dead? Anybody, just, if you've got a guess, just guess. It's okay. 40 days. Do you guys think he's right? Yeah, he, so Jesus rose from the dead, and he was here for 40 days. And so this past week, there was a day called Ascension Day, where we remember when Jesus left and went to heaven. And I want to just read a few verses about him doing that, and thank you for coming up here to help me. Do you all know how Jesus went back to heaven after he rose, they, he, they were together with his disciples on a mountain. Do you know what happened? Do you think that you can climb up a ladder? The Bible says they were all gathered around and they were talking to him. And suddenly, Jesus just started going up. You want to go up? You can climb up a little bit. Should we watch your mom to see how high to go? Let's say about... So they were... Okay. You... <laughs> so they were... Good job. So they were all gathered around, and Jesus started just going up. Thank you. You can, you can come back down. I just want to read the verses of, of the story of how this happened. Good job. After he, st- he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So imagine if there's no ladder here, and he would have just kept going, going, going until he was in the cloud. Cloud received him out of sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, of course, they were just standing there watching. And it says that, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. So we can look forward to one day Jesus coming back again. Um, I need another volunteer, but you won't get to go on the ladder. So, um, Karina, why don't you come help me out here? So one of the things that Jesus said about him going away is that he was going to go away and he was going to send the Comforter or the Holy Spirit, and he was going to come and fill us with power and with the, um, the ability to obey God and to just fill our hearts Does anybody know how the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, what did it look like, Riley? Fire. So Jesus rose into heaven, and then eight days later, he sent the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit came, it looked like, it said it looked like tongues of fire. Oh, this little candle isn't working too good. And so the Holy Spirit came and filled the lives of believers, and so now that Jesus left, he's still in heaven working. He's preparing a place, he's doing all kinds of things. But he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, to have a, just a fire to do the right thing and obey God. All right, thank you, Karina. You can blow it out. 
All right, thank you all for coming up. I just wanted to remind you about Ascension Day and that we um, can celebrate Jesus being in heaven but sending the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. Okay, you can go back. do that. This morning has not been uh, particularly kind to me on the technology side either. Um, the, the uh, Well, there it comes on. Is that actually going to plug in now, Dave? Okay. So I had tried for about an hour to get the uh, projector to come on, and now it came on. So let's see if it stays on. No. And if it stops, uh, we'll just do without it. It had come on once earlier and then cut off. So um, I do have a question for you um, before, we, before we start. Well, two questions, but the first one is just kind of a for the fun of it question. When you go to a restaurant and order something, and let's say you're sitting there with a group of people, and what you ordered comes out, and it's just not exactly what you ordered. Like, part of it is right, but part of it isn't. How do you handle that situation? Are you somebody who just doesn't say anything and truly doesn't care? Like, okay, it's not a big deal. I'm just going to eat whatever came out. Are you somebody who doesn't say anything, but internally you're just like, oh, that is not what I ordered? Anybody in that camp? Or are you a person who, like, You'll say something, and if it's not too big of a deal, you'll get it corrected, but you don't want to make too big of a hassle. Or are you somebody who says, I want to get exactly what I ordered, and it's okay. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get exactly what I ordered. Where, where do you fall on that, on that spectrum? And I see people poking people beside them. <laughs> so the other question or the thing that I'd like you to think about is just is kind of a obviously a made-up story, but let's say that we were uh, eating out somewhere, and you go into the restaurant, and you order, and you say, I would like chicken with a baked potato and green beans. Your waiter clearly hears what you want, takes your order, and after a while, he comes back out, and he says, you know what? I know that you ordered chicken, but I, like, I just want to please you and make you happy, and back in the kitchen, I started looking, and I think the steak looks better than the chicken. So I brought you steak, and the other thing, I just, I just feel like our, our, the green beans, they're better in this cold green bean salad. So I just changed your order, and I, I worked with the whole staff. We all did this together. So you're now going to have steak and a cold green bean salad, and then sweet potato. Our sweet potato is so good, that's what I brought you. And, and by the way, I did this because I actually really, really care about you, and I want to make you happy. And that's why I didn't do what you ordered, but I changed your order. How would you respond to that waiter? I doubt very many of us would be very quiet about it. Um, so I want to talk a bit this morning about, um, about self-righteousness and the Pharisees, and in a lot of ways what was happening is... This, we all have this tendency to want to change God's order and bring him what we want to bring, 
versus what, what he asks for. So I was reading through Luke, and uh, just the Pharisees just keep showing up again and again and reading the section about all of the woes of the Pharisees, and the, they're just in so much of the gospel. And so just want to talk a bit about them this morning, um, and don't want to spend a lot of time about, on this, but when you read the New Testament, you hear about the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. So who, who all are these people? And the Sadducees were they were often uh, more in the priests or connected, um, wealthy and connected politically. Then you had the scribes who were like the lawyers, and they just they understood the law. And then the Pharisees were responsible for the doctrine and, and for applying the law. And what's interesting is they didn't come onto the scene until after the exile. So after they came back from Babylon, somewhere between there and where Jesus came along, the Pharisees came onto the scene. And if you think about it, these people, Israel had been exiled because they had gotten away from obeying God. And so it makes sense that there would be a group of people who says, you know what, above all else, we are just going to obey God. And we're going to make sure that everybody does. And so somewhere between when they came back and when Jesus came, they had literally added hundreds of laws, something like 600 laws, and they actually held those laws to the same level as the law of God. Um, and they just, they treated it the same. And so you have a group of people who are very serious about keeping God's law. But yet in the end, we all know the story that they completely missed the mark. And they were like the waiters who would have brought God exactly what he didn't order. So I want to just spend some time here um, looking at this um, this morning. And... In Matthew 5, we're told, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. So here's the very group of people who had set out to try to make sure that people obey God. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, If your righteousness is not exceeding this, you're never going to enter the kingdom of God. Um, so what is he talking about? These are the people that would have looked um, righteous um, on the surface. So we have to have a different kind of righteousness if we're going to enter the kingdom of God. So now the, I wonder if you're sitting here thinking the term being a Pharisee gets thrown around quite a bit um, today. So if, if anybody is concerned about, or often if people are concerned about obedience or, or something, people will say, well, you don't want to be a Pharisee. And, and the accusation is, that if you're trying to walk carefully, that you're acting like a Pharisee. One of the things that I find interesting in all of this is Jesus is addressing that right before he has this verse. Um, he's talking about the law, and he's saying that he's coming to fulfill it. And then he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but I, I do want to just point that out as we go through and looking at what, what the Pharisees had fallen into. So what was their, what was their issue? And I actually had never noticed this um, until studying for this. In Luke 7, um, God tells us what happened or where, uh, where they went off. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. 
But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So they rejected John's message of, of repentance. And that's where they were reject, They were also rejecting God's, um, God's purpose for them. So at, at the root of this, they still said they wanted to obey God, but there was, at the root was a, a self-righteousness. So they spent their whole life trying to obey God, and then along comes somebody saying that you need to repent of your sins. And they were not willing to accept that they needed to repent of their sins um, and that they needed God. They were so concerned about following God that they actually set up all of these things around God's law to even keep from, in their mind, getting close to breaking God's law. They had all of these things. What does work mean? How far can you go on the Sabbath? Just on and on and on. And then the crazy thing is they actually put in laws to get around the laws that they had in place. It was a never-ending, uh, never-ending thing. So somehow they, they lost their way. And one of the things that I read in thinking about this is that it would not have mattered how Jesus came they would have rejected him regardless because they were rejecting, they were saying, I don't need the only thing Jesus was coming to bring. That Jesus was coming to bring forgiveness and to cleanse us from sins. So obviously none of us this morning want any part of living like a Pharisee. I'm, I'm just assuming that, that is, that's true. I read a quote from, from Charles Spurgeon talking about this and he said that all of us are born legalists, and then we learn to become a Pharisee. So all of us are born legalists, and that is that just we want to be good, and we want to, be, we want to please God, and we set out on our own trying to, to keep, make life work and to please God. So we all start out with some level of legalism um, just in our nature, and then God in his mercy um, reveals that to us, hopefully along the way. All right, so none of us want to live this way. And one, one thing I kind of struggle with with the Pharisees is it's so obvious where they ended up that we don't want it, um, that I hope we don't miss the warnings along the way of, of how they got there. And, and the things that they addressed, obviously we don't, you know, it doesn't, it's not of concern to us. Um, so I hopefully that doesn't get lost for us. Let's just hear what Christ says to them and then look at our heart to see um, where we're at on, on any of those types of attitudes. So I want to look at Mark 7 and Matthew 23 this morning. Mark 7, um, walking through this and then walking through Matthew 23. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders, and when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So a group of Pharisees came to talk to Jesus, and they were surprised that his disciples didn't wash their hands. And apparently before they ate, they would go through this ritual of, of not washing hands to be clean, but just pouring water over your hands and then pouring water up to your elbows going through all of this to be ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean to eat. And whenever they went to the market, they would do that just in case they had bumped into somebody who was unclean. And so Jesus and his disciples didn't do this 
Um, and so they came and uh, they observed this. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah the prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So he, they, the Pharisees come, and they don't actually just attack Jesus right away. They attack the disciples. Say, so your disciples don't do this. And he says, you hypocrite. And the word hypocrite, literally, it, it means two things. It means to be under and to judge. And so it's the idea that I'm going to judge somebody else while I'm hiding behind something. And so Jesus says, you're, you're hypocrites. And then he goes on to say that they were a people that honored with their lips, but their hearts were not were far from him, and they worshiped, but it wasn't according to his commands because they taught as doctrine the commandments of men. The interesting thing about what they were worked up about is of washing of hands, that wasn't even in God's law. God had asked that the priests do this before they do an offering, but the scribes and the Pharisees looked at that and they said, well, you know what, if it's good for the priest, and then they, they came all the way over here and said, anybody that eats has to do this. And they were saying, if you don't, you're not obeying God. And God was saying that, you know what, they're teaching his doctrine, um, commandments of men, things that he did not even ask for them. And worse, their heart was far from, that, from him. So notice in the end of verse 7, it says, they're teaching his doctrine, the commandment of men. In verse 8, leaving the commandment of God and hold on to the tradition of men. And it has the idea that if, if I'm holding two things that I can no longer hold anymore, can't hold both, and I need both hands for one, which one am I going to set down? And so what they did is they were trying to hold on to both, and in the end they said, well, we're going to set aside God's law, and we're going to keep our ideas of how to keep God's law and how to serve God. So in the end they were still trying to serve God, but they set aside God's commandments. Going on in verse 9, and it's about the third time he's saying this, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So I want you to notice they're starting in their self-righteousness. They're saying, God didn't even ask us to do this, but we're going to make sure we do so we're right with God. And then go on and look at, look at the, other, the next example, um, and it's actually opposite of that. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, or that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So on the one example, they were adding things to it, and in this example, they're actually trying to get around what God said. So God tells them to take care of their parents, but they say, well, if we promise that money to God, then we don't have to actually take care of our parents because we're giving it to God. And, and trying to find ways to get around it. Um, and they, it says they had done a lot of those things. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside 
cannot defile him, since it enters his heart, not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So he's saying all of these things that you're doing to stay clean on the outside, that's not really what what defiles you. We are all sinners on the inside. They come out of the heart. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has paid the price for that and totally changes us on the inside um, and takes care of all of these things that, that live there. And this is a description of you and me without Christ. This is what lives in our heart um, outside of Jesus Christ. So the one thing to keep in mind is as they, were, they had all of these traditions in place, there was nothing they could do to actually change them on the inside. There was nothing that could happen to actually take care of these issues. Now, I'd like you to flip over to Matthew 23, and we are not going to read through, um, through all of these things that Jesus is pointing out um, to the Pharisees, but just want to highlight a few of the things that he said. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. They do all these deeds to be seen by others, for they make their, and I do not know how to pronounce this, um, phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbis by other. So they're doing all this stuff and they don't do it themselves and they're actually doing it to get noticed. And God had said they should, should bind his word on their, um, I think tied on their arm and, and they did these things to make it really big and noticeable. They were supposed to have things on their robe to remind them to obey God and they made theirs very long. And they did these things to be noticed, and they loved the honor. Jumping down to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So God had asked them to tithe, and what they were doing is they would actually literally tithe 10% out of the the herbs that they grew in their garden. They were that worried about keeping God's law. But then on the other hand, he's saying that they forgot about justice and mercy and faithfulness, the things that God God also cared about, and, and he said the weightier things. Then he goes on to say that they were straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And so when they would drink, um, if they would drink wine or something, if a gnat got into it, they would be very careful to get that out because it was unclean ceremonially. But he's saying, in your effort to make sure that happens, you're actually swallowing a camel. So obviously, um, not literally, but making a point that trying so hard to get everything just right, they're missing the point. Then he goes on, Woe to you, you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. 
So he's describing that they would, they would have a cup. It's like their life was a cup or a plate, and they were very concerned with the exterior, and they totally were leaving the interior go. So I have a question for you. If, if you're trying to clean up your life by being self-righteous, is there anything that you can do internally? There's, there's literally nothing you can do internally. The only thing you can clean up on your own power is the external or, or what people might notice. Only God and the power of Christ can clean, um, cleanse the inside of the cup. Um, so they weren't worried about that. They were only taking care of the outside. Then in verse 27 and 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These are harsh words and strong words for people who were thinking that they were trying to to obey God and, and trying to bring a good life to God. And it's like they were saying, look at what I've done and, and bring their life to God. So I know this morning that we all have zero interest in, in ending up here and having this, um, having this be true of us. So I would like to just, in looking at these passages and, and other, other scriptures about um, the Pharisees and the scribes and what was going on in their heart, I just want to point out four things that self-righteousness does in every life. And hopefully, um, let's just allow God to, to look at our hearts and see if there's any of this happening um, in our lives. And there's, so I just want to identify four things from what, what, what we've talked about. The first thing that self-righteousness does is focus on what people can see, not on internal issues. And so I hope you hear me. I'm not saying that what people see is not important. I'm not saying that at all. But, what, but self-righteousness only focuses there and is actually unwilling to look at the internal issues. Um, it, it keeps those things hidden and, and guarded. With the Pharisees, they became very focused on their good impression. And they actually, they lived their life to be recognized for what they did. Whether that was how they prayed, how they gave alms, everything about their life uh, was focused on what people would see and they were unwilling to look at what was happening on the inside. So again, I know we don't want to end up here, but how willing are we to be very honest about what's happening on the inside of our, what, what's happening on the inside of our heart? And that is, that is where, where the gospel changes us, and, and what Jesus wants to do is, on, is internal and flow outward. Um, they became hypocrites because they focused only on what people would see. So self-righteousness always focuses on what people can see and on the internal, not on internal issues. The other thing that it does is it will lead to selective obedience. And this is very obvious in the life of the Pharisees. We're going to give a couple leaves out of this herb, but we're going to forget about something much, uh, much broader and bigger that God wanted to do. And whenever I get into the trap of living living out of my own righteousness or living on my own strength, it will always lead to selective obedience because we can't on our own strength live out the law and, and live obediently. So if you notice what happened with the Pharisees is they focused only on what they could keep 
the parts of the law they could keep, and they were willing to ignore the rest. And that will happen in our own lives if we become self-righteous. We will major in what we can keep and tend to minimize what we can't on our own. One example um, that I thought about in my life um, of, of how this can work out, um, and I hope, I hope you hear me on this, I'm not knocking the thing, but we could, it would be easy for me to say that, you know what, Jesus talks about washing feet, and I do that here, um, we do that every time we have communion, so I am fulfilling that command, and we should, and I need to do that literally. However, there's a whole principle behind that of living for my brother and having a servant's attitude that that is expressing. And so if, if my only measurement for me is, am I washing feet and I'm missing this and I'm making myself feel good and looking the other way, um, that is living out of, out of self-righteousness and not just a heart that wants God and all of God and a heart of obedience. So the one thing I need to be aware of is that selective obedience um, is always a result of self-righteousness. The third thing is leaving God's command to follow something else. And this is a scary one. And I think that it can be very subtle in our lives. But when we live out of self-righteousness, eventually we will leave following God and following um, what we have set up. And again, if, if I'm uh, more focused on my measurements than on God, eventually I will, I will start following that. The one thing is that why this is so tricky and so hard to identify is when you think about being self-righteous and following something else, you could picture somebody who is very religious and very committed to all kinds of these extra things that really aren't about Christ. And that would be the picture of somebody who is being self-righteous. Or you could have somebody who says, I don't want anything to do with any of that, anything you know, that might be... Um, well, I think of the example of, I'm not going to join a church because there's too many hypocrites there. I'm just, I'm not going to get sucked into that. I'm going to be, I'm going to do my own thing. And being so committed to that, you actually disobey what God is saying because there's so many people who are disobeying what God is saying. And so anytime, it, you can fall into any ditch. Um, the one quote about this that I think just expresses it well, and I would ask that you think about it because at first you may not actually think it's true. Tim Keller said, the fastest way to become a Pharisee is to hate Pharisees. The fastest way to become a Pharisee is to hate Pharisees. And so we can fall into any ditch, um, but this is where it always leads, is that we will leave God's command and follow something else. Another scary effect of self-righteousness is that it will always destroy love for other people. Self-righteousness always destroys love for other people. In the, um, the, the case of the Pharisees, think about how many of Jesus' miracles they were saying, you can't heal there, you can't do this, this is wrong, this is wrong. And they were not caring about people at all. And Jesus described them that they were burdening people, they had shut the doors of the kingdom, they had taken away the keys, and, and the Pharisees ended up looking down on people because they felt like they had their life that their life was okay. And they ended up um, looking down their nose on people. Another thing that the Pharisees did is they, they decided that they're so serious about keeping God's law that they're going to separate themselves from people. And they did all of these things to be separate. 
instead of actually being compassionate about the people that maybe weren't following God's law. Um, a couple of, of verses related to this, um, what happens when you live self-righteously. And this is Jesus telling a parable. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So he's talking to self-righteous people that were treating others poorly. And again, I just want to highlight, when we're self-righteous, we will always treat others poorly. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So they're both coming to pray, good things. And the Pharisee is coming, and he is not focused an ounce on God and what God has done. He's saying, God, thank you that I'm not like this. And he's listing all of these things. It's all about him. And the tax collector just knew that he was a sinner. And he just said, God, be merciful. He didn't have an ounce of self-righteousness. He was asking God to to cleanse him and change him. So when we become self-righteous, this is is what happens when it it bears fruit. And again, I trust that we're not there and none of us want to be there but just asking God to reveal any area where we might be um, living out of our own strength or being self-righteous. Um, one, other, one other story yet about what happens when you, when you become self-righteous, and I referenced this before in Matthew 9. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is here eating, eating with sinners, and the Pharisees say, why are you spending time with these people? These people, they're, we're trying to separate ourselves from them. We're, we think we're better than them, and here you are eating with them. Why are you spending time there? And that is where, where self-righteousness goes um, in the end. So this is a lot of, of ugly stuff that we're talking about. But the good news of the gospel is that the gospel works inside out. That Jesus promises to change our very heart, to give us a heart, take the heart of stone, put a heart of flesh. He promises to fill us with his, very, with his Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit and change us from the inside out. So again, I don't know if these feel extreme to you, um, but I just ask that you consider them. And is there any of this happening in your life um, that you need God to to take your righteousness and put his righteousness there? Self-righteousness will always focus on what people can see and not internal issues. Will always lead to selective obedience. Will leave God's commands to follow something else in the end and will destroy love for other people. And we'll replace that love with feeling superior. One way I was thinking about this is, how do I know, how do I know where I'm at in, in this? And where are we at as a church? And one of the things I would, would just bring us back to is that 
does my life and do we as a church, do we make much out of the grace of God and what he's done to us and not, um, not much out of a, a good life that we live? In other words, is it, is it God's grace that is on display in our lives? When people look at me, do they see, like, that is God's grace at work, not that it is some nice life that we've lived, um, lived on our own strength. And in thinking that through, um, one of the parables that Jesus gave was of, of a wedding feast, and he invited people in. And everybody that um, you would expect to be there and would have felt like they should have been invited, they basically said, you know what, we have way too much going, um, I've bought this, I've done that, I don't actually have time to come. But Jesus went out and he invited, or the person in the parable invited in those who knew they shouldn't be there, went to the highways and byways and came and invited them there. And if you can imagine them sitting there at this great feast, I imagine they were sitting there talking about how awesome is this feast and can you believe that we are actually sitting here? Can you believe that they invited us in, that they let us sit, that we're here and we're a part of this? I don't think there was any, any sitting there thinking, well, you know, I deserve this, or you know what, it was because of how I lived, that's how I got my invitation. No, they, were, they knew they had no business being there, and they were just rejoicing in God's grace. And so as we, as we think about these things, just ask us to consider where are we at with just rejoicing in God's grace, being very aware of not being deserving of anything that we get from God, and are we living a life that just puts God's grace um, on display and not, and not myself. Thank you for considering that. And again, I know, I know that the example is, um, is extreme and I hope we can get, get beyond that. Um, so I'm going to um, just invite you to stand and I want, I want to pray about this and then also just thank God for the food, um, the food that is downstairs. Father, I want to come to you now in Jesus' name, God, and I want to thank you for, for your love. Um, God, we are unworthy of your love. Thank you for your grace. Um, Father, all of us uh, are prone to um, falling into self-righteousness or um, wanting to justify ourselves or wanting to look good. Um, God, we're prone to be judgmental or to look down on people. And Father, we want to, um, we want to repent of, of all of that. And uh, Father, just recognize that it is your grace we need. Would you change us from the inside out? Um, fill us with your spirit, God. I pray that we would, the fruit of the spirit would grow um, in each of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that um, you would take your word and, um, and just apply it to hearts. You know where we're at today. And um, Father, in, in spite of me or maybe how I've said it, God, I just pray that your word would, would have power and that your truth would um, would truly be at work in our lives and we could live um, and repent of any self-righteousness that we have. God, thank you for the food that's downstairs. Thanks that we can, uh, that you meet our needs and we can spend time together. And um, I ask that uh, we would just have a good time enjoying it together. Bless our day from here. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.